I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the La Liga Lowdown podcast. Happy New Year to all of our listeners. My name's Tom Harris, and I'm delighted to be joined for the first episode of 2023 by Roman de all the way from Barcelona. We're recording here on New Year's Day, Roman. How did you enjoy last night's celebrations? And more importantly, did you have your grapes? <laughs> Absolutely. I had my 12 grapes. I actually ate them on time. Everything was perfect in that sense. So that's a good start to the year. I didn't drink too much because I knew we had this pod. So of course I wouldn't be in tip top condition to talk about what happened this weekend. Yeah, the consummate professional Roman de Araquer. We've got plenty <laughs> to get through today because lots and lots happening. And obviously La Liga back for the first time after the World Cup. Jordada Quince, we're only 15 games into the new season despite being in January. And yeah, where, where better to start really than the Catalan derby with the Catalan football expert on the pod with us today, Roman. Um, yeah, it was a crazy game, wasn't it, really? And, you know, Marcos Alonso stole the spotlights early on. He scored the opening goal after six minutes and then missed a golden opportunity just 10 minutes later to make it two. He then conceded a penalty standing on the back of Hosolu's foot, who would then go on to score his eighth goal of the season from the spot. But despite all of that, Roman, really, there was only one place to start with this game, and, and that's with a man who announced himself to the world in Qatar with 15 yellow cards in Argentina versus Netherlands, and that's Mateo Lajos. He went one better and brandished 16 yellows this weekend, along with two red cards and a further one that was overturned. So you were there, Roman, at, at camp now. Do you think, you know, we, we, we're fans of Mateo Lajos, I'd say generally, but would you say that was a bit much yesterday? Yeah, I have to say I was a bit disappointed. I mean, we're probably one of the few who actually kind of like Matteo Laos, but it's, it's honestly been hard to support him lately. Uh, that uh, obviously World World Cup game, sorry, obviously was was quite uh, difficult. I'd say I, I can understand why maybe Matteo Laos uh, struggled, although he did do pretty well overall for me. It wasn't as bad as people say, but especially this game against Barca was was just. Uh, too much, you know. I think uh, over 30 cards in two games here just lost control of the match. There was a moment where there was no football. I, I read somewhere it was about 19 minutes of of time wasted uh, by you know showing yellow cards, talking to players, talking to coaches, going up, going down. 
I don't know, doing all sorts of things which I think weren't adequate for such a tense game uh, as the Espanol Barça because of course it's a local derby, you know, and, and these games um, are very difficult. I understand he wants to explain himself sometimes and all that kind of stuff, which I think is good. But the card situation just got out of control, you know, for the first half it was okay. Then the second half suddenly he just started showing cards and more cards and reds and yellows. And from the stadium where I was, I couldn't understand what was going on because uh, suddenly he was just showing everybody cards and then VAR came on and then he had to take one card away, then did he, had he sent off two guys from Espanol, one guy, we weren't sure, it was, it was very confusing and uh, you could tell the fans were not happy at all. I, I'd never heard uh, such loud screams and boos against someone, you know, and, and I honestly had to cover my ears because it was so loud and so intense in the stadium. Uh, so definitely not a good look for Mateo, these uh, two consecutive uh, controversial games, we could say. Yeah, I mean, one of my lasting memories of Mateo Lajos was when he showed four yellow cards at once in a Cadiz game <laughs> uh, in the season. He's, he's, that's what he does, Mateo Lajos. And, you know, it was, yeah, like, like we just mentioned, 19 minutes it was a very stop-start game, uh, you know, as a consequence of this refereeing performance, particularly in that second half. So from a Barcelona perspective, Roman, does this performance worry you looking at the title race? Because obviously it was only a 1-1 draw with Espanyol. Or was it just one of those games where the rhythm was just completely disrupted and on another day you probably could have won? Uh, I want to think it's the second uh, case scenario you just mentioned because um, it's true that after international breaks, Barca always tend to struggle a bit. I was a bit worried coming from a World Cup because, of course, it's an even bigger break. It's true that Xavi did have some players, but most of them were were away, you know, in, in, in international uh, football. As we know, Barca had the most players a uh, club has ever had in a World Cup, so that doesn't help at all, I guess, in that aspect to keep on working tactics. It's true that some players would come in little by little, but of course, uh, you know, uh, key players for Xavi, like Dembélé, uh, for example, Kunde, etc., came in quite late and, and didn't even start. As a matter of fact, we could see the defence was, was quite uh, different with uh, Christensen and Marcos Alonso, which isn't the usual back two of Kunde and Araujo, who's probably still recovering Araujo to be uh, fully fit. And so, I mean, the first half, we did have control, but there was no amazing uh, control, amazing play, we could say, from Barcelona. Not what we would expect or what I'd, what I'd seen from them uh, before the break, because I thought Barcelona were in a decent role. They'd gotten some good results um, of late before the World Cup. And I was worried that this break would obviously interrupt that level. And it's happened, basically, you know, because Barca had a dull day. And they did generate opportunities. We definitely could have scored more. But I, it kind of felt like if, if Barca didn't score the second goal, Espanyol anytime, you know, could get the draw. And then we would start suffering. And it actually happened, of course. The standing off didn't help at all. Uh, it did compensate after shortly with another red card. But um, you could feel like uh, it wasn't going the right way, even though Barca was the better side. And even an Espanyol who's at the bottom of the standings, we know that against Barca, they're going to bring up the level uh, higher than usual and it's going to be a tough game and, and that was the case. So, unfortunately, um, I hope we can quickly revert this and get back to, to a better level, but definitely not a good game uh, to see at the Camino returning and ending the year also in front of the fans against uh, an eternal rival. Yeah, just touching on Espanyol quickly then. I mean, they've scored 17 goals in total this season in La Liga and Joselu has scored eight of those, which is an incredible return. And we were looking at the numbers last season for Alaves and it was very similar in terms of a percentage of goals that he was scoring for the team. And also two really fantastic saves from Alvaro Fernandez right at the death to deny Robert Lewandowski. And, you know, is that nice to see, do you think, after all the goalkeeping woes at Espanyol this season? Because we have had a few clangers from Fernandez himself and Benjamin Lecomte as well. Is that a corner turned, maybe? Yeah, I mean, for them, it's, it's definitely a lot of uh, confidence. Uh, I was actually telling uh, my friend I went to with the game, you know, that uh, Fernandez and Lecomte 
had made some very big mistakes and hopefully they would uh, repeat that situation today. Well, obviously in the case of Fernandez, but uh, it didn't happen in the end. In fact, he had a very good game in the second half, as you said. So a very good save and some saves and it's something that they really needed because it's true that the, uh, it's been very disappointing bringing in two new goalkeepers who you hope at least one, you know, can, can be a starter and perform at a high level. And then suddenly they're making these uh, very serious mistakes, which weren't just a goal. They were also costing points. And we know that Espanyol can't afford to drop points, uh, especially at this stage, because they're very close to the bottom. They're really suffering. Um, Diego Martinez is a manager we like a lot in a Liga lowdown, you know, and we think he could do a very good job. But of course, uh, summer transfer market didn't go as they'd hoped. The uh, Raul de Tomas situation uh, really uh, kind of impeded uh, new signings coming in and the situation actually uh, being developed as the manager would have wanted. So hopefully now in the winter transfer market, they can kind of fix that and get some reinforcements to, to help Espanyol you know, be where they deserve to be, which is higher up uh, in the standings. And, and we'll see if, if this uh, goalkeeping performance can also help them at the back you know, to gain that confidence they need because uh, being down there is really tough and, and they need to get results. And this is definitely a massive point for them. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see actually which La Liga teams get involved in the January transfer window. I think, as you mentioned, Espanyol could be one of those. So moving away from Catalonia then and to Madrid, um, you know, Real Madrid, they won again. It was a tough opener, in truth, against, you know, to travel away to Real Valladolid. And they did leave it late. Canning Benzema netted a brace, but the first goal was awarded, you know, for one of those penalties. I think quite unfortunate, Sergio Leon jumped for the ball and it just kind of hit his outstretched arm when he wasn't looking at it. But, you know, rules are the rules, and I guess that is, you know, a penalty and a handball. Yeah. But yeah, how big was this for Karim Benzema in particular? Because not only did he play 90 minutes, he also, you know, picked up where he left off in terms of goal scoring. Yeah, good to see him back. And, and, and seeing him on the field for Madrid it just shows how important he is to the team. Because let's not forget that uh, before the World Cup break, Madrid did win the game against Cádiz, but it was a close one. And then they uh, lost against Rayo, they'd drawn, they had a series of results. Uh, which weren't very good and, and it, you can always tell that having Benzema and having Benzema makes quite a difference uh, in most case situations and, and in this one of course it was fundamental to have a guy who could step up and, and score such an important penalty and then you know finish it off with a second goal and uh, Valladolid have been a good side lately you know before the World Cup uh, came on they were really beginning to find a decent streak even though they lost their last game but you could see their performances were, were better their results were slightly better than at the start and and they're a team which isn't easy to beat at home they have pretty pretty good numbers for despite being near the bottom we could say but of course uh, Real Madrid needed this win they can't afford to drop more points and um, of course they knew that Barca had a derby uh, afterwards and, and there it could be a surprise because these games are like that you know and in the end uh, they made the most of it and now they're 38 points with Barca and the league is still you know um, as we say here at Tope very very intense very hot very warm and anything can happen yeah, absolutely fascinating. I, I genuinely can't call it at the moment. I mean, just going no. back to the game, yeah, is it really entertaining? I, I really like Raya Valladolid, as we just mentioned. I think Pacheta really knows how to whip up a team and, you know, get yeah. the crowd behind them because, again, the Jose Soria was, was electric. And, you know, Real Madrid, like we said, churned out another result. Was that, you know, just going back to that title race, was that a bit of an ominous performance, do you think, from Real Madrid? We're used to seeing them get these results you know, late on in games, even when it's not, not looking like it's going to be their day. They did it again. Do you think this is, you know, a, a good indicator of where Real Madrid are going to be this season and how they're going to keep on winning games? I mean, we all know that Madrid are, are specialists of winning the games uh, at the very end of, of each match. You know, it's, it's happened so often 
not just in this year, but along the years, you know, classic 19-minute goals, 80. From the 80th minute forward, you could say anything can happen with Real Madrid. We saw it in the Champions League the other season where uh, they were incredible, scoring goals right at the end. You know, this is this is part of their DNA, we could say. And uh, we're definitely going to see more of this. But also it shows that they are not maybe uh, at the level they'd like to be because a team like Real Madrid should be capable of comfortably getting past by the league with all the respects to, to Los Pucelanos who, who are uh, getting better with every game. But still, Real Madrid have the quality up front that uh, no, no other team aside from Barca, we could say, has. So in that sense, uh, they should be capable of, of finishing these games sooner on. And they even had a, quite a few scares with Valladolid who had some very good chances in attack, you know. So, I mean, if Valladolid would have scored towards the end, then, you know, it could have really changed the situation and put them in, in a tight rope. And another defeat coming after the World Cup seeing how their level was before would have really, I think, affected them uh, negatively. But in the end, they got a win and that's what they do, as I said before. And uh, it's very positive for them. And we'll see if they can get better with Benzema now back and apparently in good shape or if uh, they're going to still uh, struggle with him. Yeah, for sure. I mean, moving on now, one of the teams I was most looking forward to seeing and most intrigued by really was <laughs> Atletico Madrid because... Lots of talk about their returning World Cup players. Obviously, they have a few World Cup winners in that team. And the likes of Rodrigo de Paul and Antoine Griezmann in particular were electric at the World Cup. Griezmann came back and he got two assists in this 2-0 win over Elche. Slightly laboured performance. You know, Elche had a man sent off, as they, they always seem to do in these away games against big teams. You know, Gonzalo Verdu again this time with the, the last-ditch challenge. That was a straight red. But Mario Hermoso got himself sent off as well with two fouls in just three minutes. And it felt as if Real Madrid, uh, Atletico Madrid were kind of struggling in a game that they really shouldn't have been. But they did end up winning 2-0. It was relatively comfortable in the end. And, you know, it's not the worst way to get back into action for a team who were struggling before the break, is it? Yeah, I mean, um, it's true that they didn't have their Argentinian players who, who are champions and probably have, or hopefully for Cholo Simeone, have this extra confidence because let's not forget that players like De Paul, Correa, we could say, didn't play too much. But now El Molina, uh, these two guys, for example weren't doing as good as maybe fans expected Atletico Madrid. So hopefully when they start playing again, they'll really provide something. But despite not having them, uh, you know, Atletico Madrid got the job done, which is what they needed. They got Joao Felix to score a goal, uh, to feel important. He celebrated with a lot of passion, which was also one of the things I wanted to see, whether he was going to really be into the, uh, the game, want to score, want to feel part of Atletico Madrid, or if he kind of... You could see from his reaction that he doesn't really care anymore. He's already looking towards another team or what. So in this case, it was good to see that he is uh, definitely involved. And Cholo also counting on him, I think, is, is super important because Joao Felix has undoubtable quality and he has been uh, really good towards this end of the year. So hopefully uh, 2023 can uh, be positive for him, even though I do think that at the end of the season, it will, will be his last um, one here at, uh, at, well, not I don't know if it's Spain, but Atletico Madrid for sure, it seems, because I mean, I don't know if this relationship can be healed between Cholo and Joao. Uh, but yeah, I mean, getting the job done against Enelche, who are in the end, you know, they just really look like they're going to get relegated. I don't think Paolo Machin was maybe the right call. The previous manager for me wasn't the right call either because he'd already been there. He'd already done a bad job previously. Uh, I don't really know what Elche's board is, is doing at the moment, but uh, it feels like uh, they're just going to go down no matter what. I think it's too late now to, to save themselves unless a miracle happens. Yeah, they're, they're still without a win in La Liga this season on just four points. And obviously to go to the Wanda Metropolitana would have been a big ask, but... They could have done, I think, with a slightly better performance just to give them a bit of confidence going into a really crucial couple of weeks for them. 
But yeah, just for Atletico Madrid, just to wrap up, there's Oviedo in the cup in midweek, but then they've got Barcelona next weekend in La Liga. I mean, how massive is that game going to be in terms of the title? That's big. That's big. It's big for Barcelona, of course, because now we're drawing on point with Real Madrid. So, I mean, it's it's going to be crucial to show that Barca is still or still can perform at a, at a high level. And I think lately Barca have been doing well against strong teams uh, in La Liga, so I, like against Sevilla, against Villarreal, etc. So I do think that we we should be capable of do, doing a good job there. But we'll have to see what version of Atletico we see uh, in this game. Um, as we said, have been going through some troubles. Uh, they did get the win in the end. We'll see if really they're still struggling or not. And um, it's also going to be important for them to fight for the Champions League, you know, because they're, they're in that fourth spot. But right underneath, you know, they've got Athletic Club, they've got Betis with 25, Villarreal with 24, and Atletico are on 27. So it's going to be a super interesting fight uh, for the Champions League this season, as well as the title race. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, we said we have a title race before, we can't call it. I cannot call who's going to finish <laughs> in fourth place. I can't call who's going to finish in sixth, seventh, eighth of the Europa exactly. League. It really is fascinating. And we'll round up part one there, but part two, we will talk about those teams, the likes of Osasuna, Real Sociedad, Athletic Club and Villarreal, some big wins uh, this weekend for some of those clubs chasing those European spots. But for now, thanks very much for listening and we'll be back soon. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Hello and welcome back to part two of the La Liga Lowdown podcast, the first episode of 2023. And I'm here with Roman de Arquer to go over the results um, from this opening weekend of the calendar year. So we're going to look at the European race now and I'm going to start with Real Sociedad, Roman, because I was so impressed by their performance over Osasuna, a 2-0 victory at Anoeta. And they're now up to third place. And, you know, a big result against a tough side to beat, Osasuna, you know, 
They only limited um, Arasate's men to just 0.38 expected goals, which is obviously very low for a team of the quality of Osasuna. Uh, Mikel Oyazabal came on for a few minutes towards the end, so that's that's really good news for La Real. And there was just a lot of confident passing between Take Kubo, David Silva, Bryce Mendes, fantastic finish from Solot to round it all off. There's just a great feeling around San Sebastián at the moment, isn't there? Yeah, they're, they're, they're feeling good. They're, they know that they're definitely candidates uh, for the Champions League this season. You know, they're out there, they're playing good football, uh, despite having lots of injuries during the season because they've constantly have been having trouble, aside from those who were already injured uh, from the past. But for example, it was great to see Oyarzabal finally have his first few minutes of the season after such a long injury. I think it was 389 days or, or something like that, or massive amount of, of time he's been away from the field. So. Uh, having him back is, is is a great boost of confidence for the team, aside from the victory where they definitely deserve the win. I mean, they're making the most of Bryce Mendes, who's just at this extraordinary level, you know. He just keeps scoring, keeps assisting, keeps being fundamental. He's not even a striker, you know. We were talking about a guy who plays uh, in the midfield, so that's those numbers from him are amazing. And you kind of feel like that at any moment, his gas is going to run out, he's going to stop performing anytime soon. But no, uh, even after a World Cup break, there he is, uh, performing for the team. A lovely goal he scored, uh, cutting inside the box, you know, and finishing in the, in the second post. That was amazing from Bryce Mendez. And, and yeah, I mean, Alexander Sorla scored another lovely goal also, and he had a chance to, to score the third and finish the game off uh, towards the end. He missed that, but still, I mean, it's great to, to see them winning and, and playing this level of football against a team, as you said, that's very tough to beat because Osasuna, we know, are a very rocky side uh, defensively. It's not easy to get past them, but Real Sociedad did a great job there. Yeah, they really did. And I mean, before Bryce Mendes went to Real Sociedad, you were looking at his numbers at Celta Vigo and, you know, not just in an attacking sense, but defensively as well. He was one of the highest pressures um, in, in, in La Liga. He would press from the front. His tackle numbers are right up there as well. And he, he just fit right into this side, you know, like a glove. And it's been really, really good to see. And uh, like we've said, Take Kubo had another good game, a great assist. And David Silva... You know, like a fine wine, isn't he? He's just, he's just an excellent. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, I wanted to say it was 289 days. Sorry, not 300. That Oyarzabal had been out, but still, massive amount of time for such an important player for uh, Real Sociedad and Spain, the national side, who also missed him very much. Of course, and I mean, you know, before obviously Alexander Isak left and Oyarzabal got injured, those two were the two players who were scoring essentially all of La Real's goals. Yeah. So the fact that they've replaced him so well and brought in a lot of exciting talent. We've got Mohamed Ali Cho as well, who we've not mentioned, who played mm -hmm. again yesterday. Looking really, really good. And, you know, yesterday they did it without Mikel Marino as well, who's one of the best True. midfielders in, in La Liga. So really promising stuff indeed. I mean, if anybody is going to catch Real Sociedad, you probably have to think it's one of Real Betis and, and Villarreal. And they got back to winning ways um, at La Ceramica this weekend. At a new La Ceramica, you know, after a couple of months of construction work, it looked really, really good. And, and Villarreal looked really, really good, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, uh, finally Villarreal are looking like, um, I think, fans wanted uh, the team to, to perform. Um, all that criticism towards Kike Setien has definitely quietened down for a bit. Uh, definitely after this performance where, you know, Villarreal looked sharper, uh, looked more like the team that Kike wants for, from his players. I think the, the World Cup definitely helped a lot, you know, to play all those friendly games they played all over Europe and and they did struggle the other day in the Copa del Rey before, just before this game. I think that also helped them, you know, to understand that uh, they have to perform at the best level if they want to win every game and that against Valencia, despite being down first, because there were some moments where they did look 
look a bit uh, lost or weak in defense and it felt like Valencia were coming in really strong but then they managed to build up from their own after the goal and, and Chukwete got that fantastic goal and then they closed it down towards the end with Foy. So Villarreal definitely doing a good job there and, and let's see if Kike can keep this up and if the fans uh, can support him a bit more next time. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we, we were just talking about Oyasabal, but Gerard Moreno as well. He's a very similar player, actually, to Oyasabal, kind of on the right, drifting in onto that left foot. And he was back. Um, he has been back for a while, but just not quite fit, not ready to start and play full games. And I think he made a big difference to his Villarreal side. I mean, he missed an absolute sitter early on. It was it was an open net. I don't know how he put it wide, but made up for it with a really lovely assist for Chukwese. And, you know, do you think someone like Gerard Moreno, you know, provides a quality that Villarreal need to get this consistency back a little bit absolutely i mean you can tell when moreno is is on the field and when moreno is not on the field when he's injured Villarreal definitely you know uh, bring down their level of play struggle to score goals it changes a lot and i think having him is just essential and that's why i think uh, Villarreal were so desperate to find a, a striker in the summer transfer market they were looking towards sadik who in the end uh, left to Real Sociedad, they were looking for somebody else who could complement or who could come on when Real, uh, sorry, Moreno uh, got injured. So unfortunately that didn't happen and they did struggle uh, when he was away for a while due to that injury. But uh, now having him back, as you said, is, is just is crucial. Even if he's not having his best day towards goal, as you said, he can assist, he can pass, he can provide, he can create, he can move, play on, on a wing, he can play in the centre forward, he can play a bit back. I mean, he's such a talented player and he's fundamental for Villarreal to, to fight for the Champions League and or the European positions that they're definitely aiming for. For sure, and that, that's where they should be really with the quality in that team. They should yeah. be pushing for those places. So, and you know that result yesterday is kind of game that Villarreal traditionally let slip. You know, the game that they dominate and, and don't win, but they got the late goal yesterday, and that has to be a good sign for Kike Setien's men. But yeah, we were talking about Real Betis some moments ago, and um, you know that win for Villarreal does take on extra significance because Real Betis did drop points, as did Athletic Club in a nil-nil draw. So, you know, both of these teams were on 24 points going into this game. So very, very tight and congested around this this top four area. And yeah, for me, the home side were on top in this one. And, you know, I thought Luis Enrique, the Brazilian winger, who's uh, 21 years old, he was signed from Fluminense in Brazil. I think he really announced his arrival in this game. I think he was absolutely electric. He had three shots on target, really positive, direct, fearless. And... I think he could form something quite special with Nabil Fakir and Sergio Canales if, if given the time in this in this squad. Just wondering what you made of the game and if you had any particular observations as well. Well, yeah, I mean, Betis for me um, were more deserving, we could say, of the win. Uh, they, they had their chances. They were creating uh, through the player you mentioned, with Enrique. I mean, he he was definitely uh, looking strong in attack. You know, he he felt really loose. We could say he was, was he that loose and then was generating, creating. Uh, dribbling past players, shooting, passing, you know, he, he looked really good. Probably his best performance, if, if not one of his best, uh, up there with uh, Real Betis this season. And unfortunately for them, they couldn't find the goal in the end, you know. Athletic Club are a tough side. I mean, with Ernesto Valverde, we've seen a massive change from them this season. I honestly thought that it would maybe take time because they didn't really improve the squad, we could say, from one season to another. So I kind of felt like last season they'd already uh, reached their peak, but I was wrong because uh, Valverde has really made them look even stronger at, at moments this season, especially at home. And in a way, they're still a tough side, you know, and they almost got a... Well, they got a good result, I'd say, against Betis. Uh, the Benito Bayamarín is, is pretty good, even though, of course, they'd want more to 
to be higher up in the standings, but they're still ahead of Betis, 25 points, two away from Atletico Madrid. Anything can still happen, so many games to go, so uh, both sides are still in a comfortable and, and good position to, to fight for their objectives. Yeah, so just to underline how tight it is in there, we have Atletico Madrid on 27 in fourth place, Athletic Club and Real Betis on 25, Villarreal on 24, and then the likes of Raya Vallecano and Osasuna on 23. So really congested. I mean, I'm going to ask you an impossible question now, Roman. Who do you think is best placed, you know, now that Sevilla have, have, have slipped away from the top four? And, you know, who's, who's best placed, do you think, to take that final fourth spot if we assume that Barcelona, Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid will be in there? Well, I mean, definitely at the moment it has to be Real Sociedad because they're third, they got 29 points, uh, they're four clear from Europa League and they're playing good football. Uh, they've recovered Oyarzabal, hopefully they'll they'll be recovering a few more players uh, along the next coming weeks and if injuries, you know, uh, can keep at bay and nothing weird happens and I think they're definitely uh, very serious candidates, although for me, Betis at the beginning of the season and Villarreal were two sides that I thought should be up there fighting for that. We'll see if Kiki can turn things around for Villarreal and we'll see if Betis can, you know, recover a bit uh, their better level from last season because they've had so many sending off, so many problems in, in, these, in this sense that's really not allowed them, I say, to shine like they would want to. So yeah, for now, Real Sociedad, I have to say, would be my pick. Excellent. Yeah. No, so we, we just mentioned Sevilla. We're, we're going to talk about them briefly now and a team that we're used to talking about in that context of pushing for top four. And, you know, last season they were probably one of the best placed teams to actually, you know, challenge Real Madrid for the title at one point. And and now they're, they're in this relegation scrap incredibly. And we've got, you know, the likes of Yusuf Enesidi coming back from the World Cup along with Marcos Acuna and Bono, of course, in goal, who, you know, players who played really well for their countries. And this opening game against Celta Vigo, a very, very tough game because Celta Vigo are also down there as well. And and it did, you know, come across as a bit of a relegation scrap, didn't it? It didn't seem to be a lot of quality or confidence in, in that severe side in particular, I'd say. Yeah, there's definitely no confidence at all. As a matter of fact, uh, yesterday I wrote an article about uh, Sevilla talking about this, their season a bit, this this uh, start of the season and, and their 22, 2022 overall, how things have really... Complica gotten complicated for them, but not just in terms of, of the manager and the player, but going up towards Monchi, towards uh, the president, where financially they haven't been uh, managing the club too well. And I think that's really affected Monchi's work uh, when it came to signing players and also selling because they were forced to sell Diego Carlos Cunde uh, because of all of these economic problems they've been having. And then, of course, also Monchi hasn't maybe been. Um, as accurate, we could say, bringing players as he tends to be, where he signs a player and it turns out to be a, a massive superstar in the future. Uh, his signings at the moment haven't been great. Now he has an opportunity to fix things a bit in the winter transfer market. And uh, we've seen how Isco has left Dolberg, who we barely saw on the field, uh, left discreetly because many probably haven't even realized he's not part of the squad anymore. Uh, so that comes to prove that the job hasn't been great. And on the field, this is uh, there's a reflection of this on the field, I'd say, where the team is you know, doesn't have the energy, doesn't have the passion, isn't playing how they uh, were used to seeing Sevilla play. Uh, and it's going to be tough, you know. San Paoli has come on, uh, he's trying to do his best to get results because he knows that the team isn't going to play much better, I think, at the moment. So it's going to be a very tough season for Sevilla. I think uh, Europe is out of the question, honestly, unless there's some magical signings come in, which I don't think is going to happen. And it's going to be tough to, to try and avoid that relegation uh, situation for them and, and climb up a bit. 
you know, really struck me how they celebrated that equalising goal. Um, you know, it was a real relief, and you could see in the faces of the players that 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 meant a lot to to Sevilla. You know, an equalising goal away at Celta, and, and it, it does show that they are in a scrap. And, and as we've just mentioned, Celta are down there with them. But their next games at home to Getafe, away to Girona, at home to Cadiz, and at home to Elche, four sides kind of in and around them. That's going to be absolutely fascinating to see if they can churn out those results and, and keep themselves away from this relegation fight that they have absolutely no right to be in, to be honest, with the, with the quality in that squad. So absolutely fascinating. So yeah, just just two more results to to go through. And we have, um, you know, the first game actually, the first game back after the break was uh, Girona versus Rayo Vallecano. And I wrote the preview on the, the Substack, uh, that's llonline.substack.com, about, you know, these three games. And I, I did highlight Girona and Rayo as some, a game that could potentially be quite exciting because Girona play fantastic football. But Rayo, I'm so excited to see Raul de Tomas at the top of his squad when he comes in. And yeah, 2-2 in the end, Girona with two penalties and Rayo playing some fantastic stuff and a brilliant goal by Izzy Palathon. Yeah, it was definitely an exciting game. I mean, two teams that like to attack, like to go forward. I think it was Girona 16 shots and Rayo Vallecano 12 shots. I mean, it was it was a, a game where teams were going forward, even though the first goal came out of nowhere. Big mistake by Miguel Gutierrez uh, right at the start, which uh, obviously uh, put Rayo in front and put Girona in a difficult situation. But, you know, Girona are a team that are used to fighting back uh, they don't tend to always be in front in the scoreline. They're usually behind, you know, so they're, they've been in this situation before and they kind of uh, managed to, to get back level on terms. Again, came Rayo Vallecano with another goal from Palazón, but another lucky penalty, we could say, for Girona equalize the game. It's hard to say who deserved the win. I think in the end, 2-2 is, is a fair enough result, uh, but it was definitely a game worth watching because it's two sides that you know that are always going to uh, entertain you one way or another. Yeah, really big fan of both of these teams. And just looking at next weekend's fixtures, we have Rayo hosting Real Betis. So that could be a very, very tasty tie indeed. Uh, Getafe also got back to winning ways this week with a 2-0 win over Mallorca. And Cadiz held Almeria to a 1-1 draw. And we saw Lucas Perez score in the 83rd minute for Cadiz to salvage that draw. And then we've actually had the news recently that Perez is leaving Cadiz and he's he's moving down to Deportivo La Coruña, obviously a team that he has strong links with, but a team who are down in the third division of Spanish football. So from scoring and being Cadiz's <laughs> top goal scorer in La Liga down to the third division, how, how interesting is that move and will you be keeping an eye on that, do you think? I mean, this is definitely, we could say... A move that comes from the heart rather than, than from the brain or the head, you know, it's definitely Lucas Perez wanting to, to go back to his house, to his home, uh, to try and help them out, to, to recover the prestige uh, they've always had and probably maybe even retire there. I don't know what his plans are, you know, but uh, we know that Lucas Perez uh, was known for what he did there and he was fantastic in those years uh, while they were in Primera División and it's always sad to see how Deportivo have, you know, gone down so many levels in the competition taken to account they're an historic uh, first division side here in Spain and it's going to be a big blow for Cadiz also you know because Cadiz are really suffering this season they have also been slightly better going in attack of late I'd say in the last maybe four five six games uh, but of course now not having a guy like Lucas Perez uh, when you don't have much more to offer in attack it means that they're definitely going to have to look into the transfer market if they uh, want to try and save themselves you know because they're still in a acceptable position to avoid relegation you know 12 points with uh, the same as Sevilla, Celta de Vigo and Espanyol one more uh, although then there, there's a little bit of a big gap uh, after that but still they have still good opportunities so they need to bring in some reinforcements to to make sure they have hopes of 
of staying in Primera towards next season. Yeah, solid side Cadiz, but like you say, one that don't, doesn't score too many goals and it'll be really interesting to see where they go from here. So um, just on that topic, you know, Matt Clark has written a Substack piece on our Substack again, that's llonline.substack.com, about Lucas Perez's move to um, Deportivo La Coruña. So I'd really recommend to give that a read. That came out this morning. And if you subscribe to our Substack, um, you will get all of this uh, analysis, these features, these news pieces and all the, the great things we do emailed directly into your inbox for absolutely free. But that's all for today's podcast. Thank you so much for uh, joining me today, Roman. Always a pleasure and Happy New Year to you and to our listeners. Indeed, Happy New Year. Here's to a really exciting 2023 in La Liga. We don't know who's going to win the league. We don't know who's going to finish in the European races and we don't know who's going to get relegated. So it's going to be absolutely fascinating to see. That's all from us. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you all again soon.